0: You're listening to an encore presentation of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Whereas the mentions of upcoming events and seasons may have passed,
1: the insights still apply to helping Catholics grow in their daily life of faith. Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr.
2: Tom Curran.
0: Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran, and today I'm with Father Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel. Welcome to the program, Fathers.
2: Good to be here, Tom. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, it's uh, wonderful to have you here on a an important feast day, a really powerful feast day, and it's something that we'll have a chance to explore together. Why do you call today an exaltation? And the more the name that I remember growing up was what, Father Lewis? Uh, we didn't call it the exaltation of the Holy Cross. We called it the, the, triumph? the, triumph, yes. the triumph of the cross. And you don't think about what Jesus is doing on the cross as a triumph. How is that a triumph when it looks like the greatest defeat, a total defeat? So we'll begin with that question, good fathers. And then we have 20 quotes, which I'm sure we'll get through at least two of them today <laughs> on the program. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Carran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in Welcome back to the program. Father Nagel is going to lead us in a scripture reading and a prayer.
2: So, this is a reading from 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, When I came to you, brothers, proclaiming the mystery of God, I did not come with su- sublimity of words or of wisdom, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my message and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of spirit and power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. And so, Lord, we do ask you to continue to bless us with the wisdom of the cross and the power of that cross, that we might, as members of the body of your son Jesus Christ, the crucified Savior, um, truly, uh, again, be who you wish us to be and to act, speak, um, to pray as you desire. That we might truly become your saints, and we ask this through Christ, our Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Nagel. All right, Father Nagel, Father Lewis. Just before the break, I posed a question. It's a very easy question, a very light question. <laughs> I'm just teasing you all, uh, yeah, but it is a it's a very real question. Today's feast day is is known as the Exaltation or the Triumph of the Holy Cross, the cross of Jesus Christ crucified, and so I'm looking at you, Father Lewis. So I'll let you tackle this question first. Why do we refer to this day as a triumph or as something that is an exaltating up?
1: Well, that's the contradiction of the cross, and you know, from the world's perspective and from Satan's perspective, you know, the death of the death of the Son of God should have ended all debate. You know, and, and evil wins and the world wins, and and um, uh, but. But, of course, we know after the fact that, that that was a means to his victory was to use the tools with which I think it was, um, I think St. John Chrysostom points out the tools that the devil used to crush us in the beginning are the same tools that the Lord used now to crush the devil and put him back in his place. The wood of the tree of life or the wood of the cross, and then the Virgin, the Virgin Eve, and then the Virgin Mary with his birth. And then, um, and then death, death itself, becomes a weapon in the hands of the Lord. And so that's the contradiction, is that you know, this ultimate defeat actually is the ultimate victory because of what Christ can do.
0: Thank you. Father Nagel.
2: You know, I've always thought of it, and I grew up with the uh, title of Triumph of the Cross, as you did, Tom. And I, I think just from a historical perspective, it's interesting that uh, try to always bring the history in, but the triumph, you know, it comes from a, a Latin word for the Roman uh, institution of a general who has won a wonderful war, victory, you know, for the state, for the Roman Republic, for instance, would be given a triumph, which was a parade, a victory parade, basically. And it was, you know, you you would take your army and you march down the sacred way of Rome and your army would, would lead you in and you'd be in this, um, and, and your prisoners would be behind you, and you, as the general, would be in this magnificent chariot. And you, your your skin would all be covered in this kind of red paste and paint uh, that showed kind of divinity. That and there would be a slave again. The, the classic picture is a slave in your chariot, whispering to you the whole time. Remember, you are not a god. You are a human being. Because again, this idea of triumph is the, the divinity is uh, the triumph is the, the godly uh, power. And so I, I think about this idea of the triumph of the cross and, and a perfect example of why Christianity is not just another religion. I think sometimes we, we can, in the modern world, sort of lump everybody together and say there are many pathways to the same mountaintop, you know, all religions are basically the same and that sort of thing, uh, syncretism, not ecumenism, but syncretism, where you're just saying it doesn't really matter. We're all kind of the same, saying the same message. it's obviously not true if you think of the cross. How many other religions are talking about the fact that the way to our glory is that we should be crucified and that we should be tortured? And so, again, I just think that there, just remember that next time somebody says, yeah, we're all kind of the same. And and I just bring up the cross and say, who wants to get up on this? Because it is the idea of dying to oneself, uh, sometimes literally, sometimes just in terms of um, you know uh, the idea of breaking away from those attachments that we have but it's through the suffering and death that we come to eternal life in heaven and so it's that paradox that Father Lewis is talking about and I, again, the idea that the, tri- the true triumph is not this great victory um, that's open and obvious to the world but it's this hidden victory that's won by this Messiah, the God-man who leads us to this heaven it's, it's, who would have thought and again, I think that's part of the Christian religion who would ever think uh, and so again, that mystery of the, the the strange way to heaven is through this cross.
0: That's really something, you know, Father Nagel. I, I admit I did not know that meaning of triumph, you know, with the great parade and and the you know the ones who were defeated coming behind I've seen it in movies right but I didn't realize that that was referred to as the triumph
2: that was the ultimate that's an ultimate is like the Medal of Honor given the Roman Republic the highest honor you could give someone was to give and again the the way you gained honor in Rome was to defeat this Romans vict, you know enemies and so this was the ultimate the ultimate triumph was to be awarded by the Senate a triumph and that's from so then on you would that's a title a triumphor um, once, once you had, had a triumph, that was part of your name at that point. Uh, it was, it was um, again, the, the highest accolade you could have.
0: Wow, that's really striking. Did you know that, Father Lewis? I didn't. Just but say yes anyways. Just make it sound like I you really did, got it.
1: I knew that. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: did. <laughs> I think that's really fascinating. And what it makes me think of is we who are imitators of Christ, is there something like that, that Jesus Christ on his cross triumphs? He triumphs through the very tool that was used to to destroy him, to kill him. In the lives of the martyrs in um, the way that they're depicted uh, in art and sculpture uh, is something similar. Father uh, Lewis, can you think of a particular saint that has that shown as an example? Like I think of St. Paul with the sword. Mm. It's not just the word of God, but his head was cut off. So the tool that was used to to end his life is actually his tool of triumph.
1: Right. Well, the, uh, Basilica of St. Lawrence in, mm. um, in, uh, Rome, he's, it, he's depicted, uh, St. Lawrence is depicted as holding a grill he right. was Grilled to death. He was barbecued to death. I don't <laughs> think they ate him, but in fact, this famous last words are turn me over. I'm done on this side or some such. And you can have humor as you die, I guess, when you're a martyr. But I think, uh, you know, frequently in art, not so much here, but I, people might recall the great scene of the last judgment on the Sistine wall altar altar wall, the chapel. One of the figures you can identify is St. Bartholomew because he's holding his skin that was flayed from him. And, uh, and he's in his glorified body, but he's still holding his, his skin that was taken from him in his earthly death. And so in a way he's like holding his, how he died too, his own flesh,
2: you know, the, I guess going back to this, the historical understanding of triumph, it fits in in a strange way. Also, the idea of whether it's the grid, the gridiron or whether it's the upside down cross, um, you know, of of Peter or whatever it is, you know, the keys or his obvious sign, but the. I didn't put this in here. I didn't mention this before. But in the triumph, the, ulti- the sort of the highlight of the triumph was that you would take the enemy's leader and execute him. That was the, the sort of the end of the the triumph. Was you would take the leader uh, of the opposing army and put him to death. And so the idea of the triumph being actually uh, through this death is again this weird. Uh, turning over in paradox uh, this this juxtaposition of opposites of the roman world and i think when christ came into this roman world his idea really was to overturn this the triumph and and so that the the killed prisoner the executed prisoner is actually the the, the commander and and in, in chief the the general of the army and the king uh, christ the king so again i think that whole idea just underlies the fact that What Christ did and how He died and the the nature of salvation is so opposite of what the world imagines. So this
0: actually makes me think about the the way in which revelation, God God reveals the truth. One of the points of um, of contention and and speculation among theologians is is revelation more continuous with reason or more discontinuous. Mm. With reason. In other words, how much does grace build on nature? And so you can see an elevation of thought to a higher level. And how much of revelation is a reversal and a tipping upside down of what we would know by reason? Mm-hmm. And the church actually has an answer for this. It's in the Fourth Lateran Council. And it's that for all continuity between God's revelation and human reason, there's a greater discontinuity. Mm -hmm. and so that leads to some very interesting conundrums so for instance um is god good and uh if you want to be a clever theologian you can say it's more true to say that god is not good than it is to say that god is good not because god is not good but because the human concept of goodness is so limited so finite and goodness in god is infinite that it infinitely surpasses any concept of goodness that we know so that it is actually more true to say that God is not good because he has a surpassing goodness that is infinitely beyond our own understanding or concept of goodness itself. Mm -hmm. So that I think has an application here. There's a way that it can shine a light on the idea of how can a cross be a triumph when it looks like a defeat. And, and so uh, the idea that when we bring a truth to the world, like this is a triumph, we should expect that it's going to be discontinuous with people's own experience of triumph. That they're going to just experience it as a defeat. Mm. And I want to ask you, fathers, that how often are you going to be talking with people who have only experienced, let's call it, the de- defeat quality of their crosses, mm-hmm. but have not yet been, let's call, shepherded or enlightened by grace to realize that this is actually God's path for them to overcome, to come to a, a whole new level of, of victory over that which they have only experienced as a defeat. Father Luce, you're nodding your
1: head. Well, I was thinking, you know, this is a message of of suffering, salvific suffering, redemptive suffering. People look at their own sufferings, and it's so tempting to think, "Well, woe is me," and "Why does this have to happen to me?" And and, it, and you know, it it hurts so bad if it's physical suffering and these kind of things. It's in our weak nature. It's so easy for us to to lose sight of 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 uh, you know of what what good can come from this and and should come from this if we would allow God in. And who knows but that this is the path toward our toward our sanctification and our sainthood is this suffering, you know, this martyrdom for Saint Lawrence or this martyrdom for Saint Bartholomew and so on, you know, or this day to day grind, this day to day martyrdom of, of the majority of us. And um anyway, yeah, that's what I was thinking of, you know. Is, is that's the paradox again? Is that it's in our own sufferings that that we can participate in that triumph, and when we find a way to see that our sufferings are participation in the sufferings of Christ, which achieved our salvation, and we can participate in that salvation uh, more abundantly and more life-givingly um, if we if we align our sufferings with Him.
0: Well, isn't that the whole theology of martyrdom? Right, the right. martyrs mm-hmm. are not victims, but they are victorious. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you know, I just, uh, it's, it's worth pondering further. Um, I'll leave this as a last statement and then we will get to these quotes. Okay. (laughs) We will eventually get to these uh, wonderful quotes from saints on, on this, but it, it makes me think of, um, the, the idea that sometimes it's precisely a breakdown in people's lives that lead to the breakthrough in their lives, that if everything just goes well, Um, You're not simply going to just go from all the good things that are happening in my life to radical conversion and surrender of my life to God. But it's only and often at times when there is some radical breakdowns. Things go really, really badly, and we actually become confronted by our own brokenness, our own desperate condition, our own radical incapacity in the face of what we're facing, that we become truly opened not only to God, but to surrender all that we are and have to God, so it seems to me that like it's not simply God's love magnetically draws us from the heights of all good things to even holy things, but it's sort of God's love drags us from hell up to heaven, mm. like sort of through the cross. Now, is that too strongly stated, Father Nagel, or is that something that you'd? No. How would you? How would you? How would you re- react to that?
2: I think it's perfectly true. I think it's I. I think that would be a great homily and a great message for somebody in a parlor uh, you know I it's it's in some ways the the basic pastoral question uh, you know the question of suffering or evil how it, it takes it to various forms but it is what it is and and I think that that it's the mystery of uh, pastoral life really I think at least it's the, the the main one and so to somehow um to present that in such a way that it, it it can be grasped is, is key. I do think the, the, the problem is also the same time you're dealing with faith. Um, the, you know, it takes faith to see that in some sense, although sometimes again, the breaking, the breaking down of one's own comfort level is is what allows faith to break in. But, but it is the the ultimate question of how it's easy. Not easy. you, You said it very well. And sometimes it's, it's hard to say well, but I do think, um, it's, it can, all it can be is presented. Um, You can't argue somebody into that. It it can be presented, proclaimed, but then it's up to God and the person to be able to um, take it in and make it real and and powerful for them.
0: Father Lewis, any comments on that?
1: Well, another way of, uh, I think, uh, maybe um, imagining or or understanding your theological point is what is often said in um, the secular world is, you know, you got to hit rock broad, rock bottom before you can begin that path to redemption. I think a lot of folks like they see someone in the in the grips of addiction, and you try you know like Father Nagel saying like you can present something to them, but they gotta want it, and grace has got to help them to see it. I guess and and someone in the grips of addiction and al- alcohol or drugs would have you and you know they haven't hit rock bottom yet. They're still you know they're still going down, and they're just not open to discussion or open to a new path in life until they hit it. And then and then they hit it and, then, you know, hopefully they hit it in a way that doesn't completely destroy them. And then they can begin that path. Now they're open to going to AA or, or whatever it is. Um, it's kind of a you know, it's the it's the breakdown where they can get the breakthrough. They got to hit the rock bottom before they can begin that path toward redemption. I think is another it way doesn't the
0: first step have something to do with being my life is unmanageable right and then then there's that sense of then being open to surrender to a higher power right yeah. to surrender to God um and it wasn't the founder like one of the co-founders who wrote that big book the wasn't he Catholic I heard that he he developed the 12 steps based on a Catholic understanding of confession
1: I hadn't heard that but um I wouldn't be surprised knowing what I know about the 12 steps yeah
2: yeah I had heard that too I, I don't have the I'm not an expert on it but I have heard that
0: well, I'm just going to say Father Nagel said <laughs> that, you know. <laughs> All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, we're going to offer some reflections on insights from the saints on the gift of the cross. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel, and today we are reflecting on some quotes. We've just been sharing some thoughts, and now we're going to move to some insights into uh, the cross of Christ drawn from the lives of saints. Because there are 20, and we're not going to get through 20. I'm going to do the same. Uh, thing where I'm going to give you chances, fathers, to pick your favorite quotes. You can go in any direction you want. So, Father Lewis, since you're right here in the room with me, I'll let you go first. You don't have to do number one. You can do okay. any quote you want. Just let us know which one it is, and then maybe you can read it and then begin offering a reflection, and Father Nagel will share a second.
1: Okay. Well, as I was looking at our list of quotes before we began the program, I, I laughed out loud at quote number three mm-hmm. uh, on our list. Whenever anything disagreeable or displeasing happens to you, Remember Christ crucified and be silent, St. John of the Cross. And how I understood that in today's parlance is, you know, you think you got it bad, look at Christ and shut up. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I thought of, you know, I think it's in Lamentations. I think we just uh, had this passage um, in the Liturgy Hours in the last couple of days, but it's attributed off, off, oftentimes to Christ, I think, around um, uh, in Lent when we're praying the Stations of the Cross. But see if there's any suffering like my suffering. I think Saint Faustina, you know, uh, reflects on this in her diary. Even, and you know, our sufferings are terrible. That's true. And Christ points out, but see if there's any sufferings like my sufferings. Not as Saint John says to, you know, look at my sufferings and shut up. But if you can, if you can see what I endured for you, um, then then maybe you can find new strength to bear the cross that you have been given, uh, with with new zeal, with new vigor, and with new hope, renewed hope. Um, that, you can, that that this too shall pass and that, and that this is your path to joining me and to being one with me. And so beyond the humor, I think maybe, maybe that's what St. John the Cross hopefully is getting at.
2: For me, the, uh, reading that short passage there, I, I, I went to the word, the word silent. Um, it, I, can, I can oftentimes at least think in, in uh, the idea of, okay, I'm suffering somehow about jesus on this uh you know, look think look at the cross but i think the idea of this you know not just that because that can align yourself with christ in some ways but but the idea of then be silent and that's i assume going against the idea of wanting to cl- complain about our crosses which i think is a very human thing um that we want to let everybody know that, that we're on the cross. And I was thinking about Christ, and we, we do talk about the, the words from the cross um, in Holy Week, but on the whole, it, you know, I think of Christ as, as suffering in silence. Um, and, and that idea is, that's, that's part of the power, where the power of the cross comes from. And I do think, uh, you know, even in Scripture, the idea of we lose our, we lose our merit, we lose, we lose the grace as soon as we start to tell people about how much we're suffering. Um, we might get some human consolation, Uh, We might be at oh you poor thing here let me help you Um, again and there's some certain amount of worldly comfort in that um, but it's not the same as just you know looking up to Christ sharing it with Him and then be silent Uh, so imitate Him not simply by the suffering on the cross but also by His silence and and just recognizing that it kind of goes back with you know this this cross can be powerful in terms of just prayer and offering it for others It's christ offered for us so we can offer the cross of our own cross for others as long as we're silent about it and don't go proclaiming it or complaining about it
0: so i like what you did father Nagel, when you reference this as these are the crosses that happen to our lives and i think that's almost the first conversion is being able to see disagreeable and displeasing things from the standpoint of faith, as some of the ways that Jesus Christ invites us to draw near to him on his path of carrying the cross. That um, that's something that we ought to expect. And when he says, if anyone would be my follower, every day pick up your cross and follow me. And uh, in various forms in, in in the gospels, sharing that same message that somehow being a disciple of Jesus following after him is following after him on the way of the cross, and that we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be um, caught off guard, but in fact, not being agreed with who who likes that? <laughs> no one, no one likes you know. Oh, I disagree with that. You know, if we did more of that on the program, <laughs> we'd probably stop doing a program, right? I just disagree with you. That's just wrong, right? So uh, that kind of conversation is not it's not pleasing, right? So uh, when you're in situations that are displeasing to you and are disagreeable to you, you probably want to avoid those things. But somehow, we're being drawn into a whole way of life that involves the willingness to somehow experience in them, experience as those things are happening, our very union with Jesus Christ that is having a benefit on this world that's maybe greater than anything else that we're doing. Any words or deeds or or other, you know, acts of prayer, the willingness to to be close to him on the cross is in fact the most one of the most important works we'll ever do. So, okay, great, um, Father Nigel, it's your turn. Where do we want to go from here? I know Father Lewis stole your John of the Cross quote since you love him so much. I do
2: like John of the Cross. Just <laughs>
0: offer that up. Offer it up. Be <laughs> I, be silent was, about it. I wasn't going to say anything silent.
2: until you talked about it.
0: But <laughs> 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 it was very disagreeable, yeah. right?
2: <laughs> I'm going to go on with my other favorite Carmelite though, the number four with St. Teresa of Avila. Um, So she says, When we are overcome by sadness, fear, or suffering, when the pains of loss overwhelm us, when evil seems to have taken power, let us look to the cross and be filled with peace, knowing that Christ has walked this road and walks it now with us and with all our brothers and sisters. I was thinking about this in terms of yeah, the Im- one image is that, that comes out is the good thief and the bad thief um, on the cross, and I, I think of that this idea of the, I, I think actually those two figures can be a, a, a useful meditation when it talks about the, when we talk about the exaltation of the triumph of the cross for ourselves. Is first of all in our cross we're beside Jesus, so he's there with us on the cross, and there, then there's these various reactions that we can have to that. We can have the jeering, angry accusatory bad thief you know hey why don't you get us off this thing and if you're really god you know all this if if uh, why don't you as opposed to the good thief who would say you know lord you know just remember me and the peace that comes with that when christ says yes you know this day you'll be with me in paradise and i think that idea that, that christ is walking with us on with our crosses that he's there beside us that he's part of this experience um, and that can bring us peace with that and so Again, I think that idea of a of a good thief who is very much a sinner and uh, has wind up in a horrible place through his own actions or whatever, and and yet has found Christ in this experience that brings him peace. I think that's something to meditate upon. Now,
1: I was wondering, you know, there's a that famous story of Saint Teresa where she's riding along to one of her monasteries and she falls off her horse or something, it bucks her off uh, when it gets frightened. And she says to God, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few. I wonder if she said this quote after that, because when we are overcome by sadness, fear or suffering, she was suffering the embarrassment and the pain of falling off a horse. You know, look at the cross and be filled with peace. Well, she's griping at God. I don't know if she was filled with peace, but anyway, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I point that out to say, you know, here's a here's a measure of complexity of the, of the personalities of the saints is, you know, if she's, if she kind of reflected on this and said this quote before that episode, you know, she could take her own advice, but then the humanness of St. Teresa took over in that one instant, but, but, uh, then she might've been reminded, oh, you know, I should have, you know, thanked the Lord for this moment of grace and of suffering and to be filled with peace. And then she went off to confession to St. John of the cross, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but uh, to look at the cross and be filled with peace is that you know I keep looking at that that quote and I keep going back to that that it's it's a that paradox of the cross again that's a that's a torture device that's an execution device how is that supposed to fill me with peace we got to look through the cross to what it accomplished through the cross to the glory was uh, kind of a theme of my homily for my parishioners last week and we got to look through the suffering to the salvation through the pain to the joy through the cross to the kingdom. And um, and when we can see through the cross, we can look to the cross and then through it to see what, what what it promises and what the fulfillment of that promise looks like. And hopefully that would give us peace and hope and joy and all good things besides. So I think of that.
0: So I like that principle. And I say that St. Teresa is applied point to, let's call it extreme situations. Like if you look at the language here, it's not just oh, when you're having a bad day and you have a toothache. It's when you are overcome by sadness, fear, or suffering. Overcome. That's heavy. And when the pains of loss overwhelm us. So it's not just, you know, little bits, but again, you're overwhelmed. And then, and evil seems to have taken power. It's not just that oh, you're being attacked or snipped at, right? Uh, And and then, in those circumstances, look to the cross and be filled with peace. That is what is so, for me, what's so striking about this. Um, But what he does in this by saying look to the cross is sort of what both of you good fathers were saying, is that somehow that cross involves me. Somehow that Jesus Christ's death on the cross is connected to my life. Um, And... I think of a, uh, I'm going to play off of a quote. Why do good things happen to bad? Pe- I'm sorry. Why do bad things happen to good people? We should uh, shift it a little bit and say, why did the worst thing happen to the best person? Yeah. Right? Because mm-hmm. the worst thing that humanity ever did was killed the innocent son of God. Um, but I love this. This is a paraphrase now. But uh, if God can take The worst that, no, yeah, if God can take the worst thing that humanity ever did and turn it into the greatest thing that he ever did, which is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the salvation of the world. So he took the worst act of humanity and turned it into his greatest act, then he can handle what you're going through. And so I think that that is such an important, let's call it principle for Catholics and any follower of Christ to be aware of, that what Christ underwent wasn't just the worst thing in human history, but somehow God can handle what you're going through Mm -hmm. because he handled the worst thing and made it the best thing. So he's going to take the worst thing that's happening in your life, whether it's uh, overcoming you, overwhelming you, and evil has taken power, and watch what he's going to do. Just watch what he will do. And that's where peace will come from. So that's what what I got out of this quote. Mm, Yeah. All right. So we're uh, we're not up against a break yet. We have time for another quote. um, And so, Father Lewis, back to you. Um, I'm going to step out and let you guys pick all the quotes, Father, you good fathers. So that way you get more choices here. Uh, All right. So, Father Lewis, back to you. And where do we want to go from here?
1: We'll we'll go a couple more down. uh, Number six on our list, St. Paul the Apostle. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That struck out to me. I'm listening right now um, to uh, a podcast, uh, You Were Born for This, by Father John Ricardo, priest of the Archdiocese of, of Detroit, in his ministry, Acts 29. And he had a great reflection on this exact quote, and particularly that word power. In the Greek there is dunamios. It's where we get the word dynamite. So we don't just think of power in some abstract like like strength. You know, that, that's true. But dynamite, it's an explosive power that's going to, destroy things it's going to get our attention you can't ignore it and it's that powerful it's going to transform things and to the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing or those who are outside of grace who refuse it but to us who are being saved it is a it is, it is a salvation that is explosively uh profound in our lives if we would just let it he gives a great uh kind of um how powerful this ought to be in our lives he uses um D-Day is an analogy. You know, June sixth, nineteen forty-four, the Allies have landed. The Allies have broken a hole in the walls of Fortress Europa on the beaches of Normandy. And the next day, June seventh, nineteen forty-four, in Paris, two guys may be having a cup of coffee, reading the newspaper, and one says to the other, "Hey, what's going on today?" And the first guy with the newspaper, "Well, Allies have landed. It's going to rain later today." I mean, he w- responds with like this ho hum thing, and that's that's not what happened. Europe has been saved and you're going to be saved soon after. It's the powerful message of the good news that the Allies have landed and the power of the cross and the power of God in the cross is even more explosive than that. So, anyway, that's why that quote stuck out to me.
0: Well, then, Nigel.
2: That, that takes me back, though, again, to Paul's great message of faith and this idea of the importance of it and, and just what it, again, reading that, just what a different life faith makes for us. Um, because it, if you look at the the um, most of the world, you know those outside the faith and those but those within it, this is the this is kind of like the dividing line, really. Um, how do you see the world and how do you see your life? Uh, faith has everything to do with it, and I think again it's going back to the I would say the uniqueness of the Christian proclamation that it's not we're not all doing the same thing, going the same way with the same religion with just different words. There's an inside and an outside, and to translate, I mean, to go in through that membrane, so to speak, that 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 transition is it, it means everything. Uh, it means black is white and up is down, and, and all these other opposites. And folly becomes power. And so, again, this idea that this all happens through the gift of the one who died for us on the cross, and to to be able to ask for that. So again, that Paul's. Line there, I think it just underlines for me um, just the the strangeness and the distinctive nature of the gift of faith that he gives us.
0: So this actually makes me think of um, a quote from Pope Benedict, who it's probably his most famous quote in any of his encyclicals, which is: "Being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or profound idea, but an encounter with a person, an event that gives life." a new horizon in a decisive direction. And it's that new horizon I want to focus on, that encounter with Jesus Christ gives a new horizon. So a horizon is a backdrop against which we see everything else. And so a new horizon for our life is really, I think, Father, what you're talking about, Father Nagel, when you talk about what's distinctive about Christianity, is that all, let's say, world religions will look at the world and say we're born in this world, we live our lives and then we die. And those who die stay dead. And so you stop and you say, Now, wait a minute. We look at this world and we see our, we're born in this world and we live our lives, but we die, but we don't stay dead because of Jesus Christ in his cross. And so preaching Jesus Christ on his cross because the cross is not understandable without the resurrection. And that it's because of the cross, it's because of the resurrection that we have hope. And if we have no hope, then we are the most foolish of men, the most pitiable of men. We have nothing but despair because life ends in death. And those who die stay dead unless you die in Christ. And so that's where this idea that the cross is the power of God is that the cross is the death that ended death. Mm. And so this new horizon that we live in is the horizon of heaven. It's the horizon of life out of death through death Overcoming death. And so I think that that's something that is foolish to those who don't have faith in Jesus because they just look around and they see life ending in death.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a folly. They just see it's all folly.
1: Well, and those of us who would follow Christ with that folly, you know, we are subjected to ridicule because, of, you know, potentially I'm Father Nagel and I am completely wasting our lives. What a wasted life that we're proclaiming this this lie and this absurdity to a world that, you know, that won't hear it. You know, that's the view of the world. Right. So, um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And you, you dress in black clothing, signifying death to the world that this you're here alive in this world, but you are living with a pointer towards a whole other world. Your life makes no sense without that world breaking into this world. Mm. So, all right, we're up against a break. When we come back, we will continue to share some more reflections on the gift of the exaltation of the Holy Cross. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis on this beautiful feast day of the triumph of the cross. And uh, I think it's Father Nagel's turn to uh, choose the next quote we're going to read.
2: I'm going to stay uh, with a, with a Teresa, but a different one, Saint Teresa of the Andes, number seven. We are co redeemers of the world, and souls are not redeemed without the cross. I just I like that little quote um, simply because it it underlines the idea that the cross is an instrument, a tool for us, a weapon. I mean, there's different ways you could look about that, but we're expected to use it. Um, that in terms of being a co redeemer of the world, that that our own suffering, um, our own prayer through, coming from that, is meant to be redemptive. Uh, we are co redeemers and so it's you know, you've all heard of the idea of offer it up, um, you know, offer up your sufferings for uh, the intentions that you want to have for the loved ones that you have. But it is very true in terms of just the power. I, I think sometimes that. Christ wants an army out of his church, the church militant, but I think none of us really draw the weapon very often. Um, and so we're, we're left kind of defenseless and weaponless because we don't employ the cross and the sufferings that we do have in terms of pr- petitionary other kind of prayer. So again, it's that whole idea of um, a weaponless army is not gonna do very well, and that this is be some ways in which we could say, hey, wait, wait a minute. Um, what is happening in my life? As Tom said, the first thing is to identify crosses as crosses. But then, why not pick them up and use them as we're supposed to?
1: I'm not familiar with Saint Teresa of the Andes. Uh, this quote here is interesting. I find because she, in two sentences, she touches on what have become, I think, uh, uh, two pretty significant controversies of the Catholic faith: this idea of co- like Mary as a co redemptrix with Christ, and well. All of us are that if we know what we're doing with our suffering and what the cross means, and souls are not redeemed without the cross. So that implies, that implies uh, very uh, clearly. I think that, that that there's no redemption outside of Christ. And a lot of people in our pluralistic world be like, "Now wait a minute, you're just making yourself sound like all all you know, all that and and holier than thou and all that." But
2: you know,
1: anyway, so she, it's interesting. She speaks. I wonder what era she lived in. I don't know much about her at all, but. She speaks to, to both these kind of controversies that that um, that we uh, Catholics are made to face today and have an answer to, I guess, to our non-Catholic brethren and some of our Catholic brethren. But but uh, you know, co redeemers of the world, you know, we are we are a co redeemer You know, Mary is a co-redemptrix. We're, we are this precisely because Christ won the victory and extends the share of that victory to all of us and and um, and, and wills it so and, and wants it so. And uh, and souls are not redeemed without the cross. You know. If we pick up our cross, we can do something, as Father Nago said, offer up our sufferings, offer up our cross for, uh, for someone else's uh, salvation in some small way as a gesture of prayer. Uh, for if, if, if nothing else, that they know that they have uh, a, a compassionate soul in you, and that brings them some peace, which may open them up to, uh, to receiving more graces. Um, all these things can happen.
0: So the concept of redemption and sort of modern controversies, I think of St. John Paul II. So as you know from his encyclicals, his sort of preferred title for Jesus was Redeemer. You know, the first encyclical, Redeemer of Man. And then almost all his encyclicals that relate to Christ are called Redeemer. So on the Blessed Mother, Mother of the Redeemer. On St. Joseph, Custodian of the Redeemer. Right? On and on, Mission of the Redeemer. Mm -hmm. On and on we go. Um, and so for him, the the Paschal mystery is so crucial. Now, you may also be aware that one of his preferred quotes in the Second Vatican Council comes from Gaudium et Spes 22 that says, in a way known to God, the Holy Spirit offers to every human being the possibility of being associated with the Paschal mystery, with the saving mystery of Jesus Christ, and so therefore to salvation. So in a way known to God, in other words, not only to those who are baptized and those who get taught a spirituality that says pick up your cross, or those who read the gospel, or Christians, but in a way known to God, the Holy Spirit offers every human being the possibility of being associated with, participate in, share in the Paschal mystery of Jesus, which is his passion, death, and resurrection. And the interesting thing is, is that he offers some thoughts about this. He offers some reflections on how does this happen? And do you know one of the places where he says this happens? I'm looking at you, Father Lewis, but I'm also asking you, Father Nagel. It's in human labor Mm -hmm. that he actually reflects on the way in which many people around the world, not Catholic, not Christian, but just human beings, labor. And they're laboring sacrificially Hmm. uh, for their families, working in the coal mines, working, slaving away um, in order to provide for their families or because of the forced conditions they're under. And John Paul II speculates that this is possibly a way that the Holy Spirit is linking individuals who never hear the gospel, the opportunity to share in the saving mystery of Christ's cross. Isn't that fascinating?
1: Yeah. Mm. In terms of quantity of the Lord's time on earth, though, that makes sense. Um, you know, he spent three decades in the house of a carpenter, three years proclaiming the gospel as, you know, in Revelation and three hours on the cross. And sheer quantity of time, the labor he put forward and just the mundane kind of busyness of home life, um, was was far more what he did, and and um, and so the saints were talking about everything that the Lord did is somehow somehow a manifestation of the redemption that He's wins wins for us. So,
2: yeah.
1: mm.
0: any thoughts, Father Nagel?
2: No, I, I I I have not read. Uh, maybe I would read it, but I I don't remember that uh, quote from John Paul II. But I I do think it's a powerful um, idea of the the universality of the Paschal mystery and, and the entrance to it and, and somehow the cross being powerful in everybody's life. And I think there are lots of people who is work, work, and they, and you know, they, they don't understand, but the suffering is real. And, and there's meaning to it at some level and trying to provide for family and now the charity. And so I do see how this is for many people, this is a suffering. And so uh, you begin to offer hope that way by saying, you know, this is one of the ways that God of the universe is reaching you.
0: Yeah. He, um, he spends a um, a lot of very profound thinking and reflecting on, um, let's call it sort of bridging two weak positions. One is um, inclusivism, which is that syncretism that says all religions are essentially the same and are all paths to God, and a extreme form of exclusivism that says unless you are baptized in a member of the Catholic Church, you will not be saved. Mm-hmm. And so how do you find a way that says, although God desires the salvation of all, all that are saved are saved through Christ and all that uh, saving grace that Christ brings to the world comes through the church. So it has an ecclesial dimension, but that doesn't therefore lead to the conclusion that all are, all that are saved are baptized members of the Catholic church. And so he spends a lot of time reflecting on this and it's part of what motivates him to do and uh, undertake interreligious dialogue the way that he does. So, Mm That's for another show, though. Yeah. Okay, we're up against a break. When we come back, we'll dive more into quotes on the cross of Christ. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis, and we are reflecting on some quotes from saints and from the scriptures, even. Uh, even. Can you imagine? <laughs> How dare us. Uh, <laughs> wow. <on> the, uh, <laughs> Well, isn't it funny? I have to admit like when I see all these saints quotes and then Father Lewis, you chose a quote from the scriptures. I was like, Oh man, why, uh, why from the scriptures? We are, uh, we already know all the scriptures. Let's get something fresh and new. Right. There you go. I'm exposed. <laughs> Expose my own weakness there. Okay. Father Lewis. On
1: our, on our list, uh, quote number 14, our 20th century martyr, St. Maximilian Colby, the cross is the school of love. Um, it made me think, you know, in reflecting on, the, on, the, on these uh, statements about the cross and, and uh, the cross of Christ, this made me think almost immediately of, of um, an anecdote or story of the lives of St. Bonaventure and St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas Aquinas asks St. Bonaventure, you know, how is it that you're able to write so wisely about the, the faith? Or, you know, he asks some question. And St. Bonaventure simply answers by pointing to a crucifix. You know, the idea my wisdom comes from the cross. That is my school. I think uh, St. Bonaventure does, one of the saints, uh, I'm guessing, I always guess with the saints because they're also wise, wiser than me. But I think St. Bonaventure, you know, talks about, you know, you, you want to learn about patience? Look at Christ on the cross. He endured that uh, suffering for, th- you know, for three hours until death. You want to learn about forgiveness and mercy? Look no further than the cross. You want w- a lesson on love? Look no further than the cross and what what God is is willing to do for love of all of us, for love of each of us, for love of any one of us. And so that last point the cross is the school of love we see what kind of amazing love god has for us when god would suffer and die on the cross and suffer the um the um, uh, the horrible crime of deicide at the hands of his own creation uh to paradoxically to save us from ourselves from our sins from satan our tyrant, our, our tyrant and um, and that is that is a profound love that uh, Christ would not even not just die but die this most excruciating and and humiliating uh, death of a criminal uh, purely for love of us.
2: When I read that uh, pat, that little quote, it's a short little quote. I I was thinking about something that I think is at least for me, maybe for most of us, um, is that oftentimes when I do can identify some suffering in my life as a cross uh, from God um, given to me. I oftentimes think I got the wrong cross. I think God, I think you made a mistake here. This would be the cross that I think would work best for me. This one here, this is not the right cross. This is somebody else's cross. Um, there have been some mix-up in the sort of the heavenly Amazon delivery system here, because I this is not you know this is not my kind of thing. And I think part of the schooling here, um, the, the learning is that the, yes, it is. Um, the the very nature of the cross is that you don't choose it. It's it's not something that, that that fits comfortably. But you have to learn that this is the way God teaches us lessons, and that's one of the lessons that we learn. Um, if you want to love, you know, again, the school of love. It's it's not that I get to set the. Um, the curriculum because I don't know it uh, and I need to be taught it and so teaching means I need to be led somewhere that I don't necessarily know or where I'm going or maybe even know that I want to be going there but that there's a sense of being I'm not a controlled I need to put myself in the hands of another a teacher uh, someone who has who can who has walked the walk who's done it who knows and and that'll surprise me and probably upset me and make me uncomfortable or or, or suffer and so I do think there's that that idea of putting myself into this my world and my life in such a way that I'm I'm open to correction like a teacher will do to a, a pupil
0: I, I do like that uh, image of education right that we have to be educated and formed to even know what love is and there is something counterintuitive to that because I think it's like oh, I love ice cream I love chocolate ice cream I didn't have to do any study any preparation <laughs> there was no work in figuring out that I love cheese pizza <laughs> right Uh, Those things come very naturally, but the kind of love that is love that we're called to, love patterned after Jesus Christ, well, there's a school involved. There is a discipline involved. There is a um, learning things that are not easy, that are not pleasant, that are not things that I would choose, but this is how you're going to actually be educated, informed. And so ultimately learning that love is self-sacrifice after the manner of Jesus Christ, the giving up of one's preferences, desires, time, effort, energy, and one's very self uh, is something that Christ calls us to. Yeah, that is not natural. That's supernatural. All right. So we have about two and a half, just two minutes left, uh, two and a half minutes left in the program. So good fathers, you have one minute each (laughs) to... Maybe reflect on a quote if you want, or just talk about uh, anything you'd like as we finish up the program. I'll start with you, Father Nagel.
2: Very briefly, number 12 says, no one, however weak, is denied a share in the victory of the cross. And I think that that, that some of this talk about the cross, I think sometimes that could get scary because we recognize that we're weak and then the cross is going to defeat us. And yeah, Jesus was up there on the cross, but I'd break down, I'd cry, I'd, I'd one off it, I'd do anything to get off it. And so I love that little quote there because it allows us to hope that not only will I get the cross, but I can have a share in the victory. I can be part of the the co-redeemer, so to speak. So I think that speaks to us saying, don't be so afraid of the cross that you get psyched out and don't realize that you're going to be on the winning team.
1: You know, our discussions on the triumph of the cross, Father Nagel gave a a great uh, explanation of the historical context of that of that word, and that strikes me as that's like a one and done thing, historically speaking. You had your triumphant march, and then it's done. But the other name for this feast is the exaltation of the cross, another word for joy and rejoicing, and it's an ongoing thing if we meditate and contemplate and, and. and think about the cross, it ought to inspire a great rejoicing in us because why? Because of what Christ accomplished on the cross and, and to, to, to be joyful in that uh, victory. That's an ongoing victory as each soul continues to encounter Christ.
0: Amen to that. So, uh, well, good fathers, thank you for uh, being with us today on Sound Insight as we reflect on uh, the gift of the cross um, and so I, I, one image I like to think of when we think of the exaltation, the lifting up of Christ on the cross is John chapter 8, where he compares his being lifted up on the cross with the lifting up of the, serp, uh, the serpent in the desert, which was a source of healing. And to imagine, folks, that um, the cross is intended by the Lord to actually be a place where we can confidently go, not just to experience union with him in our sufferings, but actually healing from our sufferings. So don't doubt that as well. All right, we're against the end of our our program together. Thank you, Good Fathers, and join me tomorrow for more sound insight. God bless your day.